Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Thanks for joining us, folks. My name is Anthony Taylor, and I'm your host today. I'm really excited to share with you today's guest. Uh, My guest today is Mike McDonald, who is the author of From Bench to Boardroom. Mike, how are you today? Very good. It's great to be on your show. Oh, I'm so excited to chat when uh, Jason, who does all of our podcast bookings, sent me your way. I was like, oh, man, and just around the uh, all-star game time. So uh, for those of you uh, playing, watching at home, actually, you know what, Mike, why don't you tell our listeners about who you are, where you come from, and I will park my excitement for just one quick minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I was uh, I, I grew up in uh, in Philadelphia, played high school basketball in the uh Philadelphia Catholic League and got recruited to uh, Rutgers University by uh, Bill Foster, who eventually took Duke to the Final Four before Coach K, and uh, played on the uh, first Rutgers NCAA team in 1975, the year before Rutgers went 31-0 and and then lost two games in the Final Four. So I played at the peak time of Rutgers basketball in its history, but I also had a great opportunity to sit the bench because I played behind uh, uh, Phil Sellers, who was All-American, and Ed Jordan, who played in the NBA, and Hollis Copeland, who played for the Knicks, and a lot of guys who were really, really good players. And basically, uh, uh, I didn't get to play as much as I would have liked to play, uh, but I had an absolutely uh, wonderful experience, and I had some coaches that I learned a lot of things about that translated into business. I, I was recruited by Bill Foster, who was a used to run camps with Harry Litwack in the Poconos and really was the founder really of the basketball camp system back in the sixties and seventies. And then I had a chance to play for uh, Dick Lloyd and Dick Vitale was the assistant coach for two years in my first two years. And I had an opportunity to spend a lot of time uh, recruiting with Dick. And today Dick and I now are board members of the Jimmy V foundation together. But Dick was a guy who had unbelievable enthusiasm and he's, you know, as, as much success as he's had in broadcasting, he had that same enthusiasm as a young assistant coach when he was at Rutgers. And then I had a chance to play my last two years for Tom Young, who uh, won over 230 games at Rutgers and, uh, was a very successful coach, terrific disciplinarian, and a guy who was very, very well organized and a great leader. So I had I had a great opportunity, uh, the good and the bad. I, I didn't get recruited by one coach and get the, I had three different coaches in college, which didn't necessarily help me, but I had a chance to learn from three different coaches and three different programs. And that was probably one of the most important things that happened in my life because I learned many aspects from all these people and the teams that I was, I was on that then helped translate to helping me manage teams at Xerox and later on at MetaFast. Yeah, absolutely. And just so everybody doesn't think this is a basketball podcast that you've tuned into, uh, uh, Mike's had a you know some significant and impressive career at Xerox, uh, at Office Max, and then the CEO of MetaFast. So, uh, Mike, you want to tell our people about your your corporate career as well? Obviously, the basketball yeah. being a foundation. Yes. Well, my corporate career was quite a ride. I started as a sales rep at Xerox in 1977 in a division of over 50,000 people. 
And uh, over a period of 1977 to uh, in 2000, 2001, I was the president of that division. So I went from the very bottom to the top of, of the, the North American Solutions Group and had an opportunity to work for the CEO of Xerox, Ann Mulcahy, for 10 years. And Ann was one of the most successful female CEOs in history. And we were able to uh, uh, do a massive turnaround at Xerox where the company had we had hired a CEO from IBM. It did not go well in 98, 99. And we ended up having to uh, downsize the company from over 100,000 employees into the 50s over a three or four year period and uh, complete a turnaround where we uh, uh, focused on, you know, really doing a lot of great things for the people that were left in terms of uh, development and compensation and focused strategies. And uh, we, we were able to turn the company around and eventually uh, the company grew. We acquired uh, uh, ACS and other companies and the company grew to 140, 150,000 people after that. And, uh, you know, I retired from there in 2009 uh, after working that turnaround. And, and I think one of the things I, I thought was important was, and I, I cover this in my book, is a lot of the attributes that I learned from sports, being a good teammate, working together, being very disciplined, focused on uh, objectives, accountability, having the courage to, to make the, the decisions you need to make. A lot of attributes that uh, are important in sports translated very well for me uh, into the business world, and I was able to uh, manage in very, very difficult times and be able to deliver substantial results. We improved the profit of the uh, company in my division by over $500 million in a uh, four-and-a-half-year period. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's – so – I, I suppose because you, you touched on some of those key attributes and learning that you get from team sports. And I just really think fostering those within all teams is is important. So let's take it that very important inflection point where all those layoffs had to happen and then you had to jump into turnaround mode. Uh, I, I kind of want to speak as like ask you about like confronting being humbled, you know, kind of when you're at the bottom, for lack of a better word, and you're and you're beginning that turnaround. What are some of the con considerations a leader needs to make? What are some of the questions that you ask yourself in those moments that allowed you to kind of regain your footing and, and support that amazing transformation that happened next? Well, the interesting thing when you're doing a turnaround is the first thing you have to ask yourself is, are you loyal enough to the company? Do you love the company enough, a culture that you've been involved in? I was in that culture for 33 years, that you're going to stay and do the very hard work. There are many people that the minute there's a turner, that the company has trouble and goes south, they want to go to another company that's growing and doing well, and they really don't want to be part of the turnaround. And that's the first thing I found out was I wanted to look at my team. I had 20 senior vice presidents. And in the first year, I changed seven of them because they weren't capable or ready to do what I needed to have get done. And they, did, they were used to the Xerox that grew. When I joined in 77, we went from 5 billion, 18 billion between 77 and, you know, maybe 2000. So we had a huge growth over all those years. And, you know, when things go bad, it's very, very difficult. And I think that's the first thing is saying, okay, you're first determined yourself, you're going to stay and really work on the turnaround. And then second, 
I'm going to put a team together that has the same type of view that you do, that you want to maintain the culture that you stayed there for all those years for. And you really want to get the right people in the right seats on the bus, as Jim Collins used to say, and, and get the skill sets that are required and then ensure that you're creating an environment where you have recognition, where you give them the right personal coaching and training and making sure they feel you're committed to their long-term career success. So they want to stay and be a part of that. And that's what I was able to do. I was able to put together a very good management team of people who had been in the company a long time and who really wanted to turn it around with the same views of, of love for the company. You know, because you're a company for 33 years, it's more than just the company. It's your family. It's your life. I mean, you've, you, you, you have so many people that you've uh, known and been, been around and been involved in. So, and it requires a lot of work. I used to spend, uh, we had 150 offices in the U S and Canada. I visit them all every year. I used to be on a plane uh, Tuesday through Thursday every week visiting offices and, and talking to customers, visiting employees, taking managers to dinner, doing all kinds of things. So you were a visible leader. And I think one of the things that, uh, that, that is very important is leadership of an organization is something you have to do, but you also need followers. You have to create followership. If you're a leader, nobody follows you. You're not a very good leader. If you're a leader and the people sign up and they get behind you and they're following you and they're doing that because they really see you're doing the right things and you care about them and they care about you, that's where success really happens. And I think that uh, the thing I was able to do was to sort through a very bad situation and come up with a management team and create objectives and strategies that we all work together as a team. And by the way, hold people accountable. You know, one of the things that I think is important is you don't turn anything around if people don't achieve the objectives. So you've got to create objectives that, you know, can be achieved and that you all agree to. And then you all collectively go after them and you hold each person who's got those objectives accountable. If we had a Western region head of sales or a Midwest head of sales or an Eastern head of sales, they've got to deliver the results through their organizations and uh, there had to be uh, accountability for that performance and then recognition for that performance. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems like, you know, one of the keys to your success was making sure that coordination, collaboration and uh, commitment as an undertone was there top down. And of course, you know, it wasn't an overnight, you know, 30 years overnight kind of thing, but really like transforming it like an incremental or incredible transformation, moving that forward, but really putting in the hours, putting in the time, having the focus and making sure that you had the right people was critical to even to making that happen. Yeah, the other thing is you have to empower those people. I'll give you an example. Bill Steenberg used to run service for me. I just talked to him yesterday. I just retired from Pitney Bowes, and he managed a large service organization. We started with 27,000 people in service, and he had to take it down as he came out with new digital technologies. But uh, And then he ran Pitney Bowes service. But he said to me, he said, Mike, he said, one of the things I enjoyed about working with you is you empowered me to get the job done. I didn't tell them how to do everything. I said, hey, look, let's agree on the broad objectives and then let your good managers figure out how to do it and how to get there and making sure they're doing it in a way that makes their organizations feel good. So empowering your people that work for you and having them feel like they have control, even though you're trying to accomplish a broad objective, is very important. 
and you got to make sure they feel good about working in that kind of environment. Hey, sorry to interrupt. It's Anthony here again. I just wanted to let you know if you're enjoying today's episode, I'd love it if you could give us a review and a comment to let us know where you're listening from. It means a lot to us. It helps us with the algorithm. It also helps us get into the hands of more people so that we can keep bringing great guests onto the show. So please do that. Also, if you or your team are planning a strategic planning offsite coming up, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to see if we're a fit to facilitate to support you and your team getting on the same page and getting clear about where you want to go. So you can visit smestrategy.net or click the link in the description. We'd appreciate both of those things. And now get us back to the episode. Well, especially at the scale that you were talking about, right? Like there's, I always tell people there's more of them than there are of you, but especially if you're looking at, you know, hundreds of locations scattered across the country that even if you wanted to do it all yourself, you couldn't. So you, it's critical. You, you to, could. To well, well I, I, I had a six and a half billion dollar division with 30, 340 vice presidents. Because vice presidents, I had 340. Now that went, that, that went down when we downsized, but you think about, it's a lot of people. In fact, uh, one of the hard things when I did the downsizing, we had 2,000 people in the marketing staff in Rochester, just just for the marketing administration support. I walked in a conference room uh, when I had to do the downsizing, and I told them all, I said, by the way, right now you have 2,000 in this room. There's only going to be 1,000 of you in the next year. I'm going to come down 1,000 people, but I'm going to help everybody here without placement, trying to get everybody jobs, trying to do the right things. We're going to, we, we moved some things to GE Capital in our finance department. or You know, we, we did everything we could, outsourcing things. But a year later, I only had 1,000 people. Now, it was very interesting. I got feedback from some of the people in Rochester, and they said to me, you know, Mike, the nice thing we respected about you was you called us in a room and told us before it was ever in the paper, anybody could talk about it. You said it up front. And then when it hit the news, everybody knew you were doing it to save the company and doing the right thing. And I never had a lot of negative feedback from that. So it was a very, very interesting thing. If you're upfront and you communicate, too many companies will say, oh, we're going to lay off a thousand people. I put it in the paper and if people find out about it, nobody's told them. Mm-hmm. Or the process they're going to use to help them. You know, and, and I think... I think there's ways to do things where you can do very difficult things and do it in the best possible way. And not to say, hey, laying off one, pe- one person is not fun in any company, whether it's one or a thousand. It, it's, it's not a fun thing, but it's how you do it that's important. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you, you and I have a, a age difference between us and, and the managers in the in the realm, you know, different stage of their careers. And I found that sometimes it's easier to do the faster thing. But from from your experience and really speaking from practice is, you know, it's not easy, but you have to do it the right way. And if you don't do it the right way the first time, it's going to be a lot more challenging on the back end. So take the time to do it right, especially when you're dealing with those most sensitive uh, conversations like the ones that you're talking about there. And so I think that's amazing advice to really consider, hey, do it right. And, you know, it'll make the, even the hard stuff just, you know, arguably slightly easier. 
Mike, as we, as we think about, you know, this journey and this incredible transformation that you've taken with these organizations, what was like an aha moment for yourself where, you know, it was a really big inflection point, whether it was something that you screwed up on and then you, you learn from it significantly or something profound that a, a coach or mentor shared with you that fundamentally shifted your perspective on things. But what's like a big aha that you had in your, well, I, in your I, career? I, you know, I, I, I was like any other manager. I made lots of mistakes. Uh, I mean, a couple of things I always tried to do is I tried to treat the security guard as well as I treated the vice presidents who worked for me. So I, I had a view to you, tr- you treated all people well, but I'll give you an example. One quarter, my finance guys, we miscalculated our service annuity. What I mean by that is if you have a couple million machines out there, they all generate service every month and supplies. And, and we made a $10 million error. Now, about $10 million in the United States for Xerox, that's all profit. That, that impacted the CEO and the results of that quarter. You know, so it wasn't a, wasn't a good thing. And, you know, the finance guys made the mistake, but I was always the kind of person I took responsibility for everything. So I called Ann Mulcahy, who was the CEO. I said, Ann, I just want to tell you this. We really screwed up. We, uh, we blew the post-sale revenue by $10 million. We made an error. So we reported it, you know, and, and it's wrong. You know, she, she said, she said to me, well, Mike, you know, you've been there a couple of years. You haven't missed a quarter yet. Just don't do it again. <laughs> I said, I said, I will work on that. I will, I will I make sure we didn't do it again. But I, but I didn't sit there. The thing I think was important, the message would be, I didn't sit there and say, Hey, and my service guys all screwed up and my finance guys. So they're responsible for this era and uh, it's $10 million. I, I never blamed anybody else. I always took full responsibility for the results of my team and they knew that. So I, I always had their back and we, we, we had problems, you know, everybody makes mistakes. I never fired anybody for making a mistake. Uh, what I would fire somebody for was ethics or bad behavior or, or, or things that were just, you know, not appropriate in a company, but you know, people who made mistakes or took risks and tried things. I was okay with that. You know, I remember at Metafast when I went there, we tried a sport. We were a diet company. We tried to do a sports nutrition product and we made a great product, but we went out there and we realized, geez, you know, we don't know how to do diet products. We're not real good at distribution of these other things. And you had to go to universities and we were competing against, you know, the Gatorades of the world and all these people that were so used to being involved in those environments that we realized we couldn't make money at it. We, we killed the product after about a year and that was it. We, we focused then again on building our network and staying in the diet space. So I, I don't think making mistakes or experimenting or having things, uh, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think any good executive is going gonna, is gonna to have those things happen. And you just hope that uh, you, you, you improve your judgment, and you do things better, and you improve your processes if you've had a problem. And uh, that's always sort of the kind of manager I've been. And I think that... Uh, uh, people who work for me, I think they appreciated that about me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that, you know, just that I heard out of that is, you know, A, you have to be kind of willing to fail and failing isn't the problem, especially when you're going uh, to turn around. But one of the things you started with was, you know, leaders, if they don't have any followers, and it sounds like you've really built a, a, a reputation in your career and, and your legacy around, you know, being a straight shooter, but also being somebody that is, you, you can work with as long as you're open and transparent. And, and that, I think what I see quality 
qualities in good leaders is that they're respected. And when I see respect, it's consistency. And it's hard to follow somebody who is inconsistent with their values, behavior, communication, and action. I, I totally, I totally agree with you. What you just said is is very important. People will, people respect you if you have high integrity and your ethics and all your, and you're consistent all the time. And I think that's uh, uh, that's important. You know, I, I always try to stress even to my uh, my own kids. You know, behavior is important. I mean, even today, you know, a lot of times today they're not with each other, so it's hard to you know, you're trying to manage people through, you know, Zoom and over the phone and all this stuff during the pandemic, that's not easy because you're, it's much easier when you're with people to read their uh, body language and things like that. Today, you got masks on, even in school, they can't read their body language. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a more difficult environment for today's executive uh, than it was for me. And uh, it requires even uh, a better skill set uh, and even more communications. You know, like if somebody does something well, write them a letter and tell, tell them or send them an email and say they did a great job or whatever. But you got to do a lot of things to encourage people and have them feel good about what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, it, it just popped to my mind to think about, you know, how you probably would have communicated in, you know, the early 2000s or, or 90s. And then, you know, communication now, it, it appears so easy. But thinking of like basketball is, you know, it, it's the work that you put in, not on the court. It's those extra pieces. It's those hustle plays. It's, it's you know, not t- putting in the work that gets you the results. And I think that it's a lot easier to try to get the shortcut, but the longest distance between two points is a shortcut. So you got to put the work in, you got to take those reps, you got to take those shots to help improve your game as a player and a game as a corporate athlete in the boardroom. And I, I, I think you're totally right. Yesterday I spoke to a basketball academy. A coach asked me, he used to coach Rutgers, Fred Hill, to speak to his, these guys and they're all out of, out, of, out of high school and they're practicing basketball year to try and get scholarships to college. And they were from Italy and Denmark, all over the world. It was very interesting. They had all read my book, and then I was going to speak to them. I said to them, I said, look, I got cut my freshman and sophomore year of high school. I only played JV my junior year, and I, I, I practiced five hours every day all those years. And I finally made it as a senior, had a great year in the Philadelphia Catholic League, and got a scholarship to Rutgers and got other scholarship offers. But I said it was all that effort and also not quitting when I got cut. Dealing with failure, dealing with, you know, the, the fact that, hey, you know, you're still not good enough and you got to get better. And they said, you know, then the nice thing about business, and I, I tried to get this to the kids, hey, you guys are all here trying to get a scholarship. You want to get a scholarship, but the chances of any of you playing in the pros is slim. And I said, you you really have to take advantage of going to a great college, getting a great education. And then, by the way, there's no limit physically to being successful in the business world. It's going to be the people, the people who continuously learn, the people who have mentors and really develop mentors, the people who, you know, listen to people and take their advice, who volunteer to go to programs. Like I said to these guys, I was, I was in my 40s and went to Columbia. I was in my late, late 40s and went to Harvard. And I said, I tried to go to any programs Xerox would allow me to go to to make myself better. 
and and that's that's very important. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people sit back and say, well, you know, I'm unhappy. I'm not getting promoted. I'm not doing this. But by the way, they ever talk to their boss about getting promoted? Did they ever sit down and say what they can do to develop themselves, or have they ever taken ownership themselves? for their situation. And, you know, and I always use Dick Vitale in this framework is you got to have a positive attitude when you're working every day. I worked 42 years and I never didn't enjoy going to work. And I think if you have a positive attitude and I say every day is going to be a great day, you're going to have a lot of problems, but you know, they don't need executives unless there's problems. And that's, that's a good thing. But, but the reality is uh, you got to have that approach that says I'm excited about the next day at work. Yeah. I got that. You got to show up. You got to be ready to win, ready to play and ready to give it your best. And, I think that makes a big difference in, in performance and especially when you're trying to play at a high level and, and really be the best. So, uh, Mike, where can people uh, connect with you? Where can they pick up your book uh, from? Yeah, bench my, to book, the boardroom? my book, my book is, is on Amazon from the bench to the boardroom. It's on Amazon and it's also at Barnes and Noble. But Amazon's really the biggest distributor of books, as you know now. So that's probably the easiest place to go and 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 to get it. But it's and, and it's six chapters about sports, and it's three about the turnaround at Xerox, and three about uh, how I was able to take Metafast from a company that was twelve dollars a share today. It's one hundred and seventy something dollars a share, but it was up to three hundred at one time, and it just crossed. The, when I took it over, it was two hundred fifty million dollars, and this year it'll cross one point five billion uh, five billion dollars. <laughs> that's so, awesome. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it was, it's a pretty good story. And, uh, I think you can take uh, a lot, a lot of good things out of it. I think it's an interesting read. The guy who wrote it with me, Dick Weiss is a hall of fame sports writer. It's the first time he did business as part of his books. And he's written books with Mike Krzyzewski and John Calipari and lots of famous people in the sports world. But, but this one, he had to write six chapters on business and he did a pretty good job. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I appreciate the conversation. I was going to try to do a Dick Vitale impression for you, but I will spare you and our audience for that. <laughs> and, uh, Oh baby. Anyway, I just appreciate you being here. Thanks for awesome making the time. Baby. He always says awesome, baby. <laughs> well, there you go. See, I wasn't going to try. So, uh, but I appreciate that. It was just really great speaking with you and I appreciate you uh, coming on to share, you know, your really impressive experience with our audience today. So thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Take care. Folks, uh, thanks again to our guest, Mike McDonald, who's the author of From the Bench to the Boardroom, My Journey from Underdog Athlete to Turnaround CEO. It's an incredible story. Be sure to check it out. I think there's a lot of lasting lessons of leadership to take forward. Even if you're a seasoned executive or you're brand new, you can't skip the work. And uh, yeah, be sure to check it out. It's awesome. And and thanks again, Mike. So uh, this has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it, it'll help your team think more strategically, and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's going to give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. 
On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus you can use the code podcast for $100 off. The course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.